Hi, I'm Sean Eckford, a member of the Board of Directors here at the Sunshine Coast Festival of the Written Arts and producer of our festival podcasts. Well, here we are, heading into the final couple of events for day two of the 2022 festival, but we're going to start by getting caught up on Friday evening. J.L. Richardson's debut novel, Gutter Child, plays out in a fictional dystopia. J.L. explained why that gave her more freedom to address issues happening in our society. So one of the things that science fiction and dystopia allow, allow me to do, especially as a black writer, is to navigate the challenges of the black community that I'm trying to explore by only pulling the things that I want to deal with and leaving the things out that I either are too overwhelming or that I just don't want to tackle in this particular book. So by setting a book in a place that's imagined, I can make up the rules for that world. I can make up the laws, I can make up the politics, I can make up the challenges. And of course I'm pulling from reality. I'm pulling from the stories that I wrote about in The Stone Thrower. I'm pulling from the civil rights movement in the United States. But I'm also pulling from the challenges um, that my ancestors faced. Um, in some country in Africa. I don't know where my ancestors are from, but I'm able to pull from that part of my history as well. If you set a story in Chicago or in New York or in Vancouver or Seattle, there's these very specific rules you come across and very specific challenges. What do you do about the people who were born in Seattle or Vancouver or New York? What do you do about the people who arrived there later? How do you answer those questions? How do you explain what people know about Seattle and Vancouver and New York? But when you set a world, uh, a book in a place called the mainland, and you set characters in a setting called the gutter, you can make up who they are, where they're from, and what issues and challenges they face. And that was the really exciting part about writing Gutter Child. Like many of our visiting authors, she also got a lot of questions about the craft of writing. And she said she doesn't really experience writer's block, at, at least in the way most of us think about it. But she did say being at a literary festival is a good way to get the creative juices flowing. One of the things that stimulates writing instantaneously is going to literary festivals. I come to a festival, I hear someone read, I hear someone talk, and I'm like, <laughs> like, I can write pages. So that's been a real blessing in this job is I will come to literary festivals and get more writing done on a weekend than I will a whole month at home. You probably remember during our wrap-up of day one, we mentioned that circumstances led to Joshua Whitehead becoming the first writer to appear at the festival remotely. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this experimental evening of, of technological wonders. Whitehead's latest book is the essay collection Making Love with the Land, and he told the Pavilion audience that he did reject one idea for the final essay in the book. Which was what my editor suggested. She's like, you should write a COVID essay. I didn't want to write a COVID essay. Um, I was like, we saw what happened with like large kind of national or global destruction like 9-11 where all the films and all the literature and all the songs are about 9-11 while we're just trying to mourn and move on and I didn't want to do that either so this was my attempt at writing a COVID essay which really is a peeking behind the curtain um, of the great Wizard of Oz of Johnny Appleseed so it's I returned to myself finishing this book and remembering I was in the same space when I finished my novel, Johnny Appleseed. Today started cloudy and cool with the threat of rain, which you might argue was an appropriate backdrop for Marsha Lederman to discuss Kiss the Red Stairs, the Holocaust Once Removed. 
Marcia navigated the sometimes dark subject matter with grace and humor. But there was one thing that she wouldn't reveal about the book, the origin of the title. Every event, someone asks me about the Red Stairs, and every event, I'm sorry, I have the same answer, and that is that I'm, I'm not going to tell you. Only because, if for people who do read the book, it is, um, I think, a really important moment of uh, discovery and unraveling and very emotional, and I don't think I can do it justice by describing it, but I will say it does have to do with um, going back to Poland. So I'm sorry, that is not a satisfactory answer. That one the marketing people might like, because I'm like, sorry, I can't tell you, buy the book. Um, but really, I, I just, uh, I, it's hard to describe in this way, but thank you for asking. I was able to get a few minutes with Marsha while she was signing books afterward. This has been extraordinary, this experience. And I was just saying to the stage manager that when I was up there talking about these really difficult things, feeling very vulnerable and exposed, I felt so safe in that space. Everyone who works at this festival is taking such good care of me. The audience, I could feel them in my corner. It, I could feel the wind. I could hear the pigeons, but it's a whole other thing. I felt safe and um, secure. Uh, so yes, it's been amazing as a participant, but also as someone just going to other events. It's been, it's, this is a phenomenal festival. Now, you mentioned uh, off the start uh, what had happened with Salman Rushdie the other day. Yes. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us didn't realize that behind the scenes, suddenly you put your reporter hat on yesterday and you're writing a story about the reaction. And, you know, two things. Was it weird to suddenly shift gears? You're here as an author and then suddenly, you know what, work calls. And the other is, it, does that, as a, as a journalist, help you process when you write a story like that in much the same way that writing this book helped you process the other things? Oh, great questions. Uh, yeah, so yesterday when I saw that this happened, uh, I'm on vacation right now from my job, but my editor, who is a friend and my boss, uh, texted me and, and said, you know, you're at this festival. might be a good idea to talk to people there. And it was. And I immediately uh, leapt into action and talked to Leslie Hurtig, who I happened to be standing next to, and then talked to Jane, went into the author's hospitality lounge and talked to whoever would talk to me. And just, I took a chair, I brought another chair in front of me, and I sat there on my laptop and wrote out that, banged out that story. Um, when something happens like that, it's so upsetting and it's so um, overwhelming and it's all I can think about. So to be able to write about it is actually a privilege. I mean, a terrible privilege, obviously, given what I was writing about. But it it did help me get through that day. Um, and uh, and writing about things does help me. Like, writing this book helped me. It's not why I did it. It wasn't, like, sure. journaling for a catharsis, but it did, it did help. Now, I'd like you to take a look ahead to tomorrow, because you're going to be on the panel for, for our event, All the News That's, uh, that's Fit to Print, and 
you know, again, given uh, the events we've had the last couple of days, but just in general, um, why do you think an event like that is important, especially to have at a festival like this? Oh, uh, lots of reasons, but I'll, I'll just say that right now, journalists are under attack in a way that is absolutely terrifying. There have been elements, certain political factions that have um, created a, an environment that has been very hostile to journalists, and, and there are people who have fallen, who have taken that lead, and been really horrible in terms of harassment, threats, um, abuse. I have taken a bit of that, but some of my colleagues have had a much harder time with it. So this is an absolutely important time to talk about. Um, the role of journalism, but also journalists. We're human beings, too. Uh, and Salman Rushdie, of course, is an amazing novelist, a great thinker, internationally renowned, very different from the kind of work I do, but it's the same toxic spread of poison that is uh, affecting all of us, is affecting the world right now. And journalism has never been more important, and it also feels like it's never been more threatened. The skies were starting to clear up a bit as Inuk poet and scholar Norma Dunning took the stage. At one point, she talked about the inspiration for her 2012 short story collection, Annie Muktuk and Other Stories. It was a piece written by an academic after a visit to the North that included some pretty horrid stereotyping. I took some of the detail out, but I, I think you can get the point. And this happens so often. People will go into the North, experts go into the North, they are there for three weeks or four weeks, and they know everything about us. And, like, and then they come home and they write books and they get awarded and everybody thinks they're ever so clever. So that's what inspired Annie, was this little spark of, oh yeah, buddy, watch this. <laughs> you know, like it, it became like a, in many ways, it became like a right back. But within Annie is this beautiful story that I loved writing because it was about love. And I wanted to write about people who just loved each other. And we live in a time where marriages usually do not last. You know, I, I look at myself and my three brothers and my two sisters, and only one of us stayed married. See, the rest of us smartened up, and we moved <laughs> <No>, out. We didn't. <laughs> so I wanted to write about love. I wanted to write about uh, two people who just, just loved each other just loved each other. So. If you're asking what the poets were doing, well, they were on stage with our incoming artistic and executive director, Marissa Alps. You might also ask, which poets? Well, Isabella Wang, Jen Sukfong Lee, and Farzana Doctor, who in lieu of taking questions, decided to wrap things up with one more short selection each. This one is um, really short a two-section poem. Um, actually, I don't know if I'll just read the first part. And um, I thought I'd read this one. It, um, I wrote it uh, around November, this November, um, when we lost three uh, dear poets, 
um, in one week, Lee, Phyllis, Atoll. Um, and this, is, this poem is for Lee, Phyllis, and Atoll, and I thought I'd read it since there is um, a Lee Miracle um, tribute coming up, which you should go to, and yeah, thinking about her and the f workshop uh, that she um, hosted. Where have the poets gone? The wise, the sager than us, elders who rocked generations of poets into their worlds, but always insisted that they do the following. Because we are ready, they say. This world, they taught us that leading is remembering the ones who ask, are they still thinking about us? Did we at once gather them and hold them warm this November month? Tell them that nights tackle thoughts of how much they're with us. Did we gather enough poems that tell them we still kind of need them? In this world, did we gather a light for them daily? Days when we are cold and not ready to see the places they found and are traveling to be present for. I'm using Frizana's step. I feel six feet tall. This is amazing. Um, I'm going to read a, a poem called Dog Ears, which I wrote for my dog, Molly, who died, oof, gosh, five years ago. I have a new dog now who's a real jerk with an underbite. But this is, this is for Molly, who was a big furry beast and um, actually very sweet, not like me at all. She snored in the night when you were alone together, lying on her back, four paws in the air. It was always a half whinny, and you thought she might have been dreaming about racing against a horse on cold sand. She loved the beach in winter. She loved the wind, sharp salt water, needling her fur, and it only made her run faster. She loved the kelp bulbs that popped in her mouth. All that sand on the pads of her feet, perfect for racing dream horses, or pretend day horses, or even the seagulls that dip so low. You haven't given away her bed or her food, or looked through her bin of abandoned bones, the brown streak she smeared on the north wall of your staircase is still there, two feet high. You sniffed it today, and it smelled like rain-soaked fur, like the clumps of mud you used to wipe from her belly. But there was no judging her speed. She ran as fast as she could, or she didn't run at all. She was fast, or she was still, and nothing in between soon didn't exist. It was and is only now. Thank you. This one is called Sky in My Veins. In last night's dream, tropical fish swam just beneath my skin's surface, my forearm a spy hole into an aquarium. They flexed and floated, tetras, guppies, a single catfish, sea plants swayed in the current, a view into an interior universe. One winked at me, an angelfish, veil tail waving sultry, she taught me to part my lips, learn to breathe underwater. I woke unafraid, for if there is an ocean in my limbs, there must be sky in my veins. Thank you. Later in the afternoon, we paid tribute to the late Lee Maracle in an event we called Hope Matters with Maracle's daughters, Columpa Bob 
and Tanya Carter. Before we start, I just want to say this raggedy little backpack is what Rosanna Deerchild from CBC calls Lee's iconic black backpack. This has been all over the world with our mum, so I thought it apropos to bring it and uh, to use it just um, because uh, this, this little buddy of hers has been to India, to New Zealand, to Japan, to central, several places in Central and South America, all over Europe, around Toronto and BC. And um, when we traveled out here with her last fall, that was um, on her last road trip before she went home to the land of our ancestors. So. Um, these are all from Hope Matters, and our, of course the pandemic cut short our book tour. It would have been wonderful to go to the places with each other that, uh, that we would have happened. Um, we, did, we were just getting ready to go to Scotland, uh, um, do, do Europe and uh, a couple of other places, and then finish the cross-country tour. So uh, we're, we're grateful that we got to travel a little bit to, for this book. Uh, and it was um, it was a dream of all three of ours. We'd been dreaming of writing together for decades, and uh, my mom was just tickled pink that we were doing the book tour circuit with her um, as co-authors and not as helpers, because we've both done that. So this is a poem from Lee uh, from the book Hope Matters called Honesty is a Thorny Rose. Honesty is a thorny rose, petals face up, Convulsing, begging to hang from a tree. Truth is an elastic nettle, stretching beyond this coffee clutch of you and me. Honesty doesn't have a clue. It meanders down pain-riddled ro roads, telling it like it is. Truth is reverent. Sure, it will live forever like steam evaporating. Honesty is transparent, illuminating the mom and dad's sideshow parenting is. Truth is creative conjuring flowers from spilled milk, sculpting survival from booze cans. Honesty is punitive, unyielding ice sculptures who refuse to melt. Before I am honest, I want to witness the beauty of a lie. I wanted to read that poem because it reminds me of lessons she learned from her ta'a and uh, from her grandpa. And uh, uh, it was that our imagination, uh, inside of our imagination, or what English calls our imagination, for us internally, that's our spirit land. Um, that's where truth lives, and truth has a past, a present, and a future. And if it doesn't, then it is honesty, which is momentary. And um, so I, I really love that poem because it reminds me of that life lesson. I'm going to read um, Justice is an Ember, and um, it comes uh, because the poem that she's going to read next always reminds me of this poem. <laughs> okay, Justice is an Ember. And the reason I love it is because I'm kind of like I'm a dreamy optimist, <laughs> always been that, and, um, and she nourished that in me um, because I am kind of flighty. I mean, people used to call me flaky when I was young. <laughs> And flaky is not one of those words we use anymore, but um, I think I still have that hope. Um, and, I mean, I love the... We all agreed on the title of this book because of that. But um, this will show, I guess, um, parts of her that I loved. 
Justice is an ember, burning slow and easy, a fire filled with hope, hope for our humanity. We stand in the center of a sphere, earth beneath, sky world above, humans all around us. Our fire seeks relations with all beings. Justice calls us to burn brightly together. Justice is a song sounding our love for humanity, for life, for freedom. Let our songs ring out. Let our fire burn. Let our humanity sing songs of hope. I cradle this ember, call you to receive it. Hold it up toward the sky and bind myself to you. Day two is set to wrap up with the Rockwood Lecture from Sheila Rogers, host of CBC Radio's The Next Chapter, and it promises to be a night to remember, like so many others in our 40-year history. More on that in tomorrow's Roundup. There are still tickets available to many of our Sunday events. Check out writersfestival.ca for more information. (music) 